Welcome to From the Red Room. I'm Mitch Proctor. Today, we have with us uh, a guest like many of my guests I have known since the dawn of time uh, here in the Dirty Tea, a man <laughs> who has uh, traversed and expanded his horizons long past or beyond the Dirty Tea from east to west coast, uh, you know, parading those vocals everywhere you go. <laughs> and been in, kind of uh, involved in and in the pursuit of what I think is one of the most noble human pursuits, and that's that's art. So today we have James Jeffries. Hello. <laughs> and uh, he's going to be doing voices, apparently. No. <laughs> um. Okay. I feel like most of the time when we hang out in the store, it inevitably drifts towards... Whatever's happening with movies, television, mm -hmm. obviously a big part of that right now is the revival that we are experiencing with Star Wars. Yeah. 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 That's kind of a big deal right now. It is. And so, you've got your Star Wars shirt. I actually I have, you a, Star actually Wars have a Star Wars shirt on as well. <laughs> I so do too. <laughs> I think this was like preordained. So is that where we're going? I think so. It was kind of was. Yeah. Um, and we're both of an age that it was it with us from the dawn. quite large like the monolith from 2001 in that we were all children rendered excited monkeys throwing bones <laughs> at each other while this thing landed in our laps. Yes. Um, so, yeah. I mean, it's a strange thing. And I guess you could say this for a lot of stuff that we worshipped as kids. Like, so much of that is back uh -huh. and really being heavily traded upon. Okay. Which is a weird thing. Like, I don't necessarily know how to feel about that. And then, obviously, I think a lot of it has to do with us being this sort of forever consumer generation that of course wants to impart the things that we loved to you know m many of us are of child rearing age not that, <laughs> not that either of us have have chosen such folly but um <laughs> a path know. not for myself right no, yes um but it's a strange thing to you know walk into store and see all this stuff that is aimed very specifically at your riled up nostalgia centers yeah. in your brain um i should be taking notes because you hit so many points there that i want to talk about <laughs> but really, i mean for one um see that's why i should be taking notes because <laughs> well you talk about um growing up with it and it being right in our laps mm -hmm. and then it coming back and i can t sense and hear in your voice just this little bit of reluctance to, yeah to embrace it again because you know, maybe like hollywood is mining your childhood and you know like they are but well i mean what it sounds almost like it's a negative thing but we get to enjoy these things we loved as children once again as adults so i mean it's it's certainly not i would not say overall that it's been a negative influence i think mm -hmm. if i'm if there's any element of it that I'm sort of chagrined to deal with, you know, uh, we've had, we've had a little bit of this conversation before where, you know, 
we were all so protective <laughs> and worshipful of the original films. Okay. And then the prequels came along and it was just like it was like the harsh light of adulthood being led into the room after you'd passed out at five o'clock in the morning, just waking you up way too soon. And was it adulthood you... or were they just that bad? Uh, I mean, were we looking you know, at it through new eyes? Or uh, I mean, there, there's cert. I mean, for, uh, for my for my own nickel, I certainly have no need to ever see them again. <laughs> um, okay. You know and. Uh, obviously me and certain friends of mine disagree on that to a huge Ooh, extent. What friends? Yeah. Dig, let's dig the dirt. Um who 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 backs well, the prequels? Like, I, Come on. I, I don't know anybody that like wholesale backs the prequels, but I know folks that like you know, they they still have to allow for them to exist and I I personally am not burdened by that. <laughs> um but you know for a long time after that after that six year flurry in which those three came out we were like okay that's done now <laughs> like it had long been a looming threat and we we're like right. okay that's done so when the news of this whole george lucas selling the entire thing off to disney came around it was like oh weird you know but at the same time kind of exciting because it was like okay finally some other people like us that had grown up with it were going to get a chance to you know th they were finally going to get the keys to the sandbox yeah and they were going to get they get throwing... to play with the toys now they get yeah to... yeah um i recently you know i i concluded some work with a film festival in san francisco and out there i got to visit um Lucasfilm and on the day in question it was an educational it was an educational event um, called the Art of Lucasfilm and so we packed this auditorium at Lucasfilm which is right on the Presidio grounds in San Francisco and we heard from a bunch of people there um, that are sort of keepers of the flame or visual effects artists. And one of them was John Knoll, who, if you don't know who John Knoll is, John Knoll has long been in the visual effects industry. He was one of the people who, in the very early 90s, his proprietary program for creating things like the Water Tentacle and the Abyss. Um, the T-1000 and Terminator 2 Judgment Day uh -huh. and the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park um, he invented Photoshop like Photoshop was the tool for doing those things digitally in that yeah, day I thought and I'd time heard this story. Yeah. Right. Like... so you know it was awesome to hear from him and talk about how he'd long had this elaborate idea of how the rebels came in possession of the Death Star plans and that seed for that story is what became Rogue One uh -huh. and so it was a really really fascinating 90 minute presentation where they talked about you know the challenges and the hurdles involved in you know 
trying to resurrect something that lives in a very specific visual place for most people um you know in particular you know they they set out early on where they're like okay grand marf tarkin exists in this story they did that thing in episode three where they had an actor with a whole lot of makeup play him at the end of the film uh-huh. but what would be a lot harder to do <laughs> you know and that's really how they see themselves on industrial light and magic is like we're gonna do something that's really really difficult because it's gonna end up yielding a bunch of rewards and in in a certain respect they're almost like the they're almost like the nasa visual effects like if we tackle this ridiculously hard problem the solutions that we have to unearth to solve that problem will end up yielding all these smaller benefits. So they went through this really elaborate show where they talked about, you know, all the, all the scans and sort of composited visual geometry of, um, Peter Cushing's face. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the difficulty in that a new hope was lit in a very very different way from rogue one as a film and so one of the things that was sort of a a strange nexus for them to solve was that if they lit the newer model of tarkin in a way that was consistent with everyone else in that film with gareth edwards lighting and shooting style it made him somewhat more difficult to look at like it didn't necessarily resonate with everybody's memory so well. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and they could hit a few switches and actually change the lighting around him so that he looked like his 1977 self, uh-huh. which then was even creepier because it looked yet more real. But the problem, of course, was then that it didn't jive with anything else. It in didn't the film. fit with the look of the other yeah, footage of everyone else is, yeah. populating the film. So. Yeah. That was a really interesting thing to hear him talk about. And so, I don't know. I mean, I think there's just a certain subset of the fan base that will just, they're always going to want those unblemished theatrical versions of those first three films and every one of those, you know, I, I can see, here's the deal. I think because those films are such a common a commonly commodified cultural treasure i think it's owed to everybody to at least have access to them fair you know i agree i agree um but at the same time i also can't deny george lucas's own prerogative as an artist to go that didn't meet what my vision for this film was. I want to go back and fix this. You know, I think the, 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 the place where he went awry with that was when you actually make very, very critical sort of wholesale editorial decisions. Like when you go back and have (laughs) Greedo shoot first, it makes the scene mean a different thing. And I guess in his mind, well, he changes always... changes character, like, behavior. changes character 
Like um, it does. Han Solo, it changes things right in a way that is not just visual. And the thing was, I don't, I don't think anybody ever read that scene as, oh my god, this guy Han Solo is a cold blooded killer. It's like if somebody else has a gun drawn on you, and you're in a <laughs> cantina, and they're the agent of a very nefarious intergalactic crime lord. Shoot you first. probably should shoot that person before he gets a chance to shoot you. you yeah, know? I don't yeah. think anybody ever ever saw it that other way. Well, even so. as a child, I mean, I I didn't come away from that thinking he was a villain or anything. No. That he was a bad. I was not. Nope. And I never even really gave it too much thought mm-hmm. until they took it away. Right. I was like, wait a minute, that's that is not the guy that I grew up thinking was was awesome. That's not Indy. Right. You know. And I, it's funny too because I remember sitting in the theater for the special edition of that 1997 and having that be one of the weirdest experiences I'd ever felt in a theater because it was suddenly like, you know, and then God burped, (laughs) you know what I mean? (laughs) Like you're in there and you're hearing your favorite sermon and so it's like, (laughs) you know, it was so just jarring. Yeah. You know, it's like, like, I, I remember looking over at my buddy Mike and just being like, did what did did you see that? Did <laughs> did you even did have a, a moment where you 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 questioned your own memory of it? When, we, when was the last time you had seen the unedited, uncut? Oh, probably like a week before. Oh, really? okay, so <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think we all did. I think we all mainlined the trilogy on yeah. Laserdisc before yeah. those theatrical exhibitions. But yeah, yeah I mean, uh no, it's a very, very strange sort of memory I think hole. even in the dark, you could see everyone's head whipping back and forth yeah. to the people they were with. Like, what? <laughs> that is a good discussion, though. Does the, you know, the artist has the right as the original artist to toy with their art. Right. But at what point do you owe something to the people who have since consumed it and loved it and lifted it up on this pedestal. Right. Like, don't you owe a little bit to them too? And so that's why, yes, I think that they should be made available. They should let let me, let me see it both ways. Well, even, even just as like, even as a historical artifact. Yeah. Like that should be saved. Oh yeah. We're not even going to get into that about him making the argument against colorization and things. Right. 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 Yeah. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. and then, like didn't he like testify? In, he testified in... in front of Congress about, you know, because this had to do with when the Turner Media Empire acquired X number, like this huge cattle back catalog of films, and were then openly toying with the idea of colorizing a bunch of them for broadcast yeah and it said about this uproar and george lucas himself is like you can't do that but the thing that i would say is still in his favor though is that turner broadcasting is not the original director of those films turner broadcasting is an entity down the line that is looking to make those messing with someone else commercially viable yeah so even like if you peel that back he's still He's still technically it's not arguing just out from out a hypocrisy. point of logic. Right. You know, it's, that gives him something of a leg. It's not like he's shopping for a leg. Like, oh, right. I have nothing to stand on. Mm-hmm. No, yes. Okay. Yeah. Got it. So, you know, I don't know. We all we, we all struggle with It's our, a strangely hot topic. It is. You know? It's a, it's a strange it's a strange thing to come to grips with just because, you know, it's like you want to 
you want to just enjoy these things? I mean, I would like to just go out and buy the most recent Blu-ray set and just be like, oh, that's that's all this is, you know? Man, so as a fan, mm-hmm. I mean, how because how, I'm not getting a distinct flavor one way or the other on, yeah. on Rogue One for you. Yeah. And I, not that you always have to have like a one, like it's, right. not, it's not a thumbs up, thumbs down kind of world, with, but I... With regard know. to Rogue One, I... I really enjoyed it for the ride that it was. I enjoyed it for how it veered off from all the other movies. I mean, structurally, it was pretty weird to watch a Star Wars movie that didn't have a crawl. (laughs) And then just kind of cut from planet to planet, sort Mm -hmm. of putting this thing together. And the thing was, it it doesn't necessarily start well. And, you know, mm-hmm. there's there's all this scuttlebutt about how there were repeated reshoots and, yeah. you know, there was a there was an earlier test screening where the studio was just not very happy with the direction of it. Um, and I think the first the first maybe half hour or so definitely exhibits some traces of that where it feels a little bit unfocused uh-huh. and kind of all over the place. But I think once once you get um the main character and some of those others kind of together like once you get the band together um that movie really starts to sort of take off i liked it i even without the crawl um it felt to me like what i expected it to feel like and what i wanted it to feel like something that was almost in an expanded universe it mm-hmm. it, it felt not necessarily like fan fiction or something but i right. could, it had a very a separate vibe. I know that they they have now referred to them as like saga movies, and then mm-hmm. there's like these spinoff movies, and it felt to me like the stories I was making up in my backyard when I had my toys, yeah, and I was playing with my right. my figures. That that was the story we told, and and that's fine, really I, what it yeah. is at the heart of it. I mean, at some point, John Knoll was sitting in his backyard in Michigan with his <laughs> Star Wars toys, likely going. I wonder how they got the plans for that thing. <laughs> oh, so there was this mission and it was like the yeah. dirty dozen and yeah. most of them died and it yeah. was cool, you yeah. know? So I've heard telltale that there were versions where they, some of them lived where yes. people got off the planet. Yeah. I mean, speculative, you know, what do you think? I think of course they all die. I mean, I think die. it, I, I think know. it, I think it allows it to have a little more heft, like that last 15 minutes, even though they're successful at it, at getting the plans away, it still restores a lot of heft for how fearsome the empire was supposed to be. Yeah. Well, cause they all got killed off and then, you know, Vader himself, of course. Scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which it's amazing that that scene wasn't even in the script originally. Oh my God. Like That's, that literally yeah. was like a brainstorm in the middle of it where they're like, Hey, you know, we could throw this together. And uh, for what, like, I almost think that that sort of improvised energy for it makes it seem a lot more just organic. Yeah. What's Mike doing right now? Can we get a hold of him? Can we get him over (laughs) here? He should be sitting in on this. I would love to hear it. He's, he's, I'm, I'm sure he's just at work right now. Yeah, probably. (laughs) not bad i love uh, i i'm i'm happy with it i'm i don't even mind that the the jj's that the force awakens was just a 
a redo, a retelling, <laughs> a reboot. I don't care. I'm just, I have in my old age become so uh, much a fan of just loving things. Yeah. I, I'm not really as critical anymore of anything that I'm mm-hmm. already a fan of. All right. Yeah, I think. I don't know. I've wait, I'm, I'm waiting for that to be proven wrong. Like maybe if this crow reboot happens <laughs> with Aquaman as a crow, I'm like I may not be happy, but we'll see. We'll see. I, I don't. I, I would. I would definitely say that. Um, I think I've experienced much the same arc, in that. You know, I used to anticipate these things so much. And when they didn't fi- like, I just got disappointed the other day with Alien Covenant. Oh, I didn't see it. Really, were you? Oh. oh. Well, okay. How much do we want to get in? Well, Did let's you- close up. Well, I mean, we'll come okay. back to Star Wars yeah. first, but let let so overall though, as yeah. as a fan and and the, this, this resurgence of star star love. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're you're plus on it or you're you're, you're still I'm, undecided I'm definitely no I'm I'm definitely a supporter of it I mean so you know click, my, you my, my like. still my favorite thing going right now is actually the Star Wars Rebels animated series I've never seen any of that stuff it's so on the money really with regard to uh, the way the characters are written the you know, one of the characters is this Mandalorian female that's a demolitions expert, and it gets into the that's sort of hardcore. torn politics of her home world and why they're not really aligned with the rebellion, nor are they supporters of the Empire, and it's got all to do with their own like warrior creed. Like, there's so many cool unexplored things that had been you know just grazed in the films but then really plowed into headlong like it's it's three seasons deep right now the next season is going to be the last and it's absolutely my favorite what's the time frame of that i'm sorry your favorite yeah it the the time frame for the entire series is about five years before a new hope okay yeah but it's it's severely groovy and I, i know a huge portion of why I enjoy it so much is because it draws so heavily on Ralph McQuarrie's arts. Like the, the entire thing feels like this wonderful fusion of Ralph McQuarrie stuff. And uh, like a lot of the, a lot, a lot of the planetary art feels uh, very uh, Miyazaki ish. Really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. That, yeah. That raises my eyebrow. Yeah. Like, so I mean, it, it's just, it's really, really fun, and there's definitely like, like you you talk about how enjoyable, like, what a what a, you know, intense bit of fan service the Vader moment towards the end of Rogue One is. Yes. There's a moment that I would actually argue outdoes that in terms of poignancy in season two of Rebels. Just spoil it for me. I can't take. I can't take oh. it. Just tell me what. Well, anyway, <laughs> um, you know, the Clone Wars introduced this idea that Anakin also had a Padawan. Okay. Who was this female named Ahsoka Tano? And I've seen that name tossed around a little right. bit. Yeah. Um. There is a very. 
how do I address this without getting too well <laughs> towards the end if of season two or can't towards well, the like... end of season two um Darth Maul shows up and he is not known to the characters in this particular corner of the galaxy but the show's Jedi apprentice this kid named Ezra um encounters Maul and Maul basically tells him that this whole time Ezra is in possession of a Jedi holocron. Okay. And it is through this that he gets Obi-Wan's sort of distress call post order 66. Like if you receive this flee, run for your lives, you know? Okay. Um, and so he encounters Maul and Maul tells him that, well, you know, there are things that you need to know, blah, blah, blah. Like, I can tell you the location of a Sith holocron, blah, blah, blah. So Ezra is lured to this planet to recover this item. Like, he's not sure whether or not there are things he should try to use it. He's not sure if he'll just try and destroy it when he encounters it. But he figures it's too important to let go. And in the middle of all that, Ahsoka tries to intervene to save him. Vader finds out where his apprentice is going. And there's this terrific, terrific showdown where there's a duel between Ahsoka and Darth Vader. And Ahsoka manages to carve headlong into Vader's helmet. So there's this great crack and his actual eyeball, like, <laughs> visible. And it's it's just this fantastic fucking duel. Oh, that's awesome. How yeah. am I, I? I am really messing up letting this slip, like, slip by me. Like, I didn't know that there was Vader in this. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Not to put too fine a point on. There's Vader. There's Tarkin. Really? Yeah. Wow. No, I have to check. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll see what's right. Is it on any any streaming? Um, <clears throat> I'm not. However, you can acquire Disney XD. Oh, uh, I don't. Okay. And it is also on um, Blu-ray DVD. Okay. Well, that's I'm old-fashioned that way. Maybe yeah, I'll yeah. Just pick pick it up that way. Yeah. Cool. Uh huh. Thank you, sir. Yeah. No, you should dive into that. It's oh, really good. Mike and I are just like. See, and, and you know what? Fan service so often has like this negative connotation. Right. I got no problem with fan service. See, okay? like, well, it all in, depends. In my opinion, it, it all my, depends my how it's done. I mean, okay. one of the problems with fan service, as we saw with the prequels, was that. I got no service. <laughs> the prequels. <laughs> and I'm a fan, so well, I don't know where that could go. You know, there's a great there's a great, great Patton Oswalt bit <laughs> where he talks about the Star Wars prequels. Really? Oh and you know, he pretends that he's George Lucas talking <laughs> to Patton Oswalt. And he's like, oh, Do you like Boba Fett? Like, yes, yes, I love Boba Fett. I would love to see more of him in these movies. It's like, well, you get to see him when he's a little kid and he's real sad and he watches his father die. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> not what I meant. Right, 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 right. Sure. So, you know, um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's all, you know, like there, there's low hanging fruit with regard to fan service that's okay. just obvious things that people would like to see sure and so when something like that comes off as a non sequitur in an otherwise not terribly well considered script so something that's an inorganic 
just dropped in there right. just to get a reaction or just to kind of that, that, that kind of fan service. Right. Because my idea of fan service mm-hmm. is, again, we were talking about it earlier, and it, it, it'll continue to come up for me no matter who I'm talking to or mm-hmm. when. Like Twin Peaks and The Return, there's a ton in there. Yeah. But there's also fan service in the way that I'm seeing, I'm getting visuals, audio, story mm-hmm. that as a fan – even though it's not familiar, right. I consider fan service. It's him doing his thing, but I'm a fan of what he does. Right. So, cool. But yeah. If he, but if he were to, like, make a Miley Cyrus video, mm-hmm. well, there'd be no fan service there for me because I'm right. not, I wouldn't necessarily be interested in what he would do with Miley Cyrus, maybe. I don't, well, I don't well, know. I just don't think it's a yeah. negative thing. Well, I mean, with this, they made, they made such an obvious attempt to really go back to the well and – mccory's old concept drawings yeah and make this new set of heroes and this new ship and some other things out of the empire that we had not seen before but really make them feel like an organic extension of things that could have existed okay in that ot timeline did they uh use models or is that all cg they just cg gotten to the point that it's so good that it now looks fake you know what I'm saying? Because there's there are instances with those Star Destroyers where they look like the old models, right? And I loved that. Well, so, yeah, I mean, particularly with Rogue One, they went to an unbelievable paint. Like, actually, now that I think about it, during that presentation, they showed where they had models of different scales and took really intense scans of them. And then we're able to have them in the computer and light them in different ways, you know, because it really like, you know, the first time you see that star to star come out of the shadow yeah. in Rogue One. And it really, really jogs your memory as to, yes, this looks right. This really it looks, looks right, the way it's yeah. supposed to, but it, it looks better. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Well, our memories also betray us oh, quite yeah. often. Absolutely. And everything. We think back like, oh, it looked like this. But if you go back and look at it, it yeah. doesn't look like the way no. you remember. Your mind fills in the blanks, mm-hmm. fixes things that you didn't notice originally. Right. But yeah, I, I felt they delivered on a vision of what I think I remember, mm-hmm. whether or not I'm correct or not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool, cool. So, I mean, that kind of that, I mean, that, like you said, is kind of where we are like yeah. there's tons of things being rebooted and remined and checked out again so you said covenant didn't deliver <laughs> <laughs> so if rogue one is a prime example of that being done really really well uh, you know here's the thing uh, there's long been just as much actually i don't think there's even near no i think about it, no there's not nearly as much of an argument, I think, from most Alien fans that first one is just this beautiful, gothic, haunted house nightmare Yes. with, you know, what was then just a dazzling and horrifying creature, you know, straight from the mind of Giger, yeah. you know, bio-terror. Uh, bio, bio um and then the second one, you know, there there are a few purists that just worship the first film, and the second one doesn't do much for them. Okay. I am certainly not one of those people. I, because, I don't know many of those, right. but I know they exist. Yeah, yeah. just because <clears throat> I think James Cameron is very smart in that there was no way you were going to out Haunted House, the original Alien. Yeah. You're just not going to. So 
he reached for what was natural for him as a creator. Like, I want some balls out action. I want what, in his mind, he actually saw as a metaphor for the war in Vietnam Uh in that you had you had a force going in with supposed technical superiority, you know, just coming in to bring down the hammer on this thing that it didn't really understand. (laughs) And it didn't really go according to plan, you know? Yeah. Um, So he made a very different kind of film from that, but it honored the creature. It honored the way we came to understood how that creature works, but in a very different environment and with very different stakes and with some characters that we came to love. Yeah. Then the big departure point is with the third film, (laughs) um, where, you know, a lot of people (laughs) were not terribly happy that, you know, you, you killed off everybody that lived through the first film by way of a text crawl. Yeah. At the beginning of the third film. Well, hey, I was not watching very, that. Not very charitable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, opposite, opposite of fan service. Right, right, yeah. right, right. Fuck you, sir. They're dead. Uh, right. <laughs> um, you know, and obviously there's there's a there's a wealth of opinion on that one because David Fincher has certainly come to be a cinematic force of uh-huh. his own since then. Um, and there are a lot of people Didn't that... Didn't Joss do some rewrites on that, that one, too? Or was it the Joss fourth? worked on the fourth, fourth one. Fourth okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, the third one went through absolute development hell. There were uh-huh. literally, I want to say, six or seven different writers attached to that film at different points. And it it veered from everything to what was supposed to be an Earth invasion story to Cold War intrigue on a space station outside Earth. Yeah. And then it wound up on this prison planet. <laughs> you know? <Yeah. laughs> so it really like it I went I kinda know, but I kinda don't because I think I've seen it all about once and a half times. Yeah. I just I well I mean probably more than that, of course. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it just doesn't ever stick with me. Right. And the fourth one not a lot of people care to talk about. Is that the alien baby face one? Is that the, the That's one with the, the aliens that sound like lions or whatever? Oh, yeah. I mean it, I think it was the same Who's that director? Jean-Pierre Jeunet, who okay. I think also went on to direct Amelie. Oh, fantastic. Film. Yeah. I love so, that. So, and yeah. Delicatessen and some well, others. Yeah, so never... he, City of Lost Children. Okay. So he's done some great work. And obviously, you know, one can only imagine what difficulties he encountered trying to yeah. satisfy a studio like Fox and a franchise like that. You know, yeah. probably not the best. Do you think we're in a different environment now where that's going to happen less and less? Um, with studios are going to be uh, surrendering more, surrendering control more to who uh, to to the creators and to the directors who are probably fans of the material they're working with and they know more. I mean, is is that mentality shifting from what you've seen? You I mean you've been involved in the industry more? So. I don't necessarily think so. I mean, I think a very public counterexample to that would be the difficulties that Edgar Wright experienced in trying to create his version of Ant Man. Okay. I mean, Edgar Wright is probably one of the more talented all-around filmmakers of his generation, and he's done some films that people absolutely love, but 
you know, Marvel is also a very controlled entity and all of those films are so expensive on an individual basis that I can really only see that being a situation where, you know, the one deviation from that formula to this point that's been very, very successful are the Guardians of the Galaxy films. And that came about as the result of them going, well, James Gunn is a really talented director and he's done some freaky stuff that we like. Let's give him this thing that doesn't it's really matter much so much yeah, yeah. No in, really in relation knows. to all the other films. We're not and risking so, too much. Right. So yeah. if this sucks, we can just bury it and there'll, there'll never be another one. Yeah. So I don't, I think anytime you get the kind of budgets that are involved for any one of those big summer tentpole films yeah. and the expectations are really high, the studio's just going to have a lot the of The money's got to be under control. Like yep. Someone's got to be got to be accountable. Someone, there's got to be someone to answer mm-hmm. for it. Yeah. Right. Well, real quick then on, on that, um, was Ant-Man poorly received? I liked Ant-Man. I mean, Ant-Man did, 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 did well. Did it suffer some struggles or something? I mean, is it just, did he come well, out and say it's not what he intended? Or Because I thought it was Edgar got solid. let go from the project. Oh, see, I didn't His know. version of it never came to fruition. Oh, okay. Well, I believe Now they, I'm the asshole because I liked it. No, it's all good. <laughs> I mean, I think they started shooting it and then yeah. maybe they didn't actually get around to shooting it. I think they were trying to lock down the script for it. Okay. And Edgar just had some things in there stylistically that they were just didn't want to do. a real departure from what they've come to expect at the Marvel movies. Oh, now I'm very intrigued because yeah. now I want to see what he would have done. Like, right. That's, yeah. But he's got, he's got his awesome movie coming out this month, Baby Driver. Yeah. He sent me that trailer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So... Alien Covenant. So you're saying I shouldn't go see it because it was on my list. Um. Okay. When I saw it on Monday, I left the theater going, it wasn't bad. It wasn't great. It was a competent thriller, though I didn't really care about the characters. Oh, then I can't. Yeah, get behind it. Really. Yeah, I mean, I gotta, I gotta at least care. Although, okay, again, spinning off into so many points. Yeah, with with TV the way it is nowadays, I think that we become it's harder to get invested in characters in film sometimes because we're used to uh, twenty three hour long episodes where we can really become invested in a character. Right. So, do you think that that's getting in the way for cinema? I don't even know that it's that because. You take a look at something like um, like uh, another horror film that came out that was really successful was Get Out. And we just spend a little bit of time getting to know that couple yeah. before okay. they take the trip up so to her parents' house. So if you're, if you're good, at your, good at your job, it doesn't matter. You can still make that right. make the audience I mean, connect. Literally- I didn't see it. I didn't see that one. Like but. With Alien Covenant, it literally feels like about 40 seconds into the film, <laughs> there's a fire aboard the ship and we're supposed to get sad because the captain <laughs> is going to die and his significant other is like severely bummed out. But we don't care. And we don't have we don't really have any stake in these people yet. Okay. So it's asking a lot. And then 
there are other things that happen with that film that just really radically change what your perception of like the origin and the majesty of that creature and i i just i didn't buy it okay that's yeah th- that's making me really not want to say it because mm-hmm. i do you chose some good words there the origin <laughs> of the majesty of that creature like mm-hmm. that's the mystery and majesty of that creature yeah. is part of the the draw for me well see like, a lot of people had problems with prometheus because they felt like there was so much that was unexplained uh-huh and to me, the only worse thing than leaving an audience with a shit ton of questions is providing too tidy of an answer for those too many questions answers. later on. Yeah. Did you watch a lot of previews or trailers for uh, Covenant? No. No? I think I watched one trailer, and the thing was, I wasn't even high on it from the trailer. I was like, yeah. oh, I feels... didn't like the trailers. I thought they showed too much. Yeah. And, and that kind of brings me back around to my overly uh, obsession with, with Lynch. I just read another little article from him talking, really smack talking uh, trailers. Yeah. Like that, that they have gotten to, they show way too much now. You get the whole story in the trailer. And I agree. That's funny because I read another article that talked about that and how a lot of directors these days are really unhappy. I mean, essentially, it, it had become a thing where there are very few directors with that much pull that they that are just going to impose their will or even have the time to be like, I'm cutting the trailer for this film because this needs to be exposed to the public in this particular way. And these things are completely off the table for that because essentially the way the process is, is a director finishes his edit. The film is locked. They hand over the entire thing to a separate marketing company and, they and go, it. sell this. Yeah. And so the marketing company just goes, wee, what's good in here? What can I? Yeah. And too often it takes the form of a two-minute version of the entire film. And audiences are really, really sick of those kinds of trailers. Yeah. Because there's, you just feel like, I saw that movie. <laughs> I know what the yeah. beginning is. I know what the middle is. I know how it ends. Why, Why do I it? need to blow $11 now? Yeah. Did you uh, watch the side-by-side comparison of Force Awakens versus Last Jedi? I did. Did you? Yes. So there's a blueprint. Oh, yes. <laughs> but you know, with that one, though... I no, mean, that cl- one doesn't. Cl- that doesn't fall into what we were just discussing. No, it, there, it, really, really, it really goes out of its way not to. Yeah. And, you know, I think... You know, you'd have a lot of very upset people if you had a Star Wars trailer that was edited in that same manner. The, the, here's the whole story manner. Uh, oh, I would lose my mind. Like, yep. uh, I, I, I used to have a guy work for me, and he used to come in after seeing a movie. You know, you come into work, and he would just like vomit the entire plot, everything. I, I was like, dude, I will fire you. Like, I start. I, he became like a supervillain to me, Captain Spoiler. Right. And you just would walk in the door and just start spouting off. I'm like, dude, stop it. Mm-hmm. Let me experience it. I want to go in unknowing. I want to have like a flavor. Like, this is what we're gonna deliver you. And sometimes I'm surprised. And if I'm not handed what I ordered, sometimes that's better. Yes. Absolutely. I, I will trust into, you know, that's why when I go out to eat, sometimes I'll just be like, you know what? You bring me your favorite. Mm-hmm. Like, I want I want the surprise. Yeah. I want to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. <sighs> that's the problem is that we exist in an environment where so often, you know, uh, unfortunately, there's, there's a lot of people that just 
they want such a clear idea of what it is they're about to consume before they consume it. And I just, I, I run like hell from that impulse. Yeah. You know, I want to be, I want to, I mean, on the rare occasion where I get to see something knowing nothing about it. And I've actually been pretty fortunate in that regard. Cause like doing publicity for this film festival just now, I had access to a whole bunch of screeners for these films from which I knew nothing other than a title. And it's uh-huh. kind of great. Yeah. It's great to just be like, I'm going to watch this thing and I don't know what it is. Maybe, maybe it's good. Maybe See it's bad. Happens. Maybe it's whatever, you know, yeah. whereas it's pretty hard to go to a multiplex to see anything without having seen at least like two or three trailers repeatedly. Yeah. Before it comes out. You know, the one I want to see that I haven't yet, which yeah. is colossal. Mm, um, that's high on my list as well. And I feel like that's one of those where I may not have heard about it. I may not have gotten it. I'm, I'm sad because I kind of already have a little bit of an idea, mm-hmm. but, but at least that little idea that I got is going to drive me to go see it. Yeah. And I'm just really afraid of that. Get whatever else happens in that film is going to get spoiled for me. Mm. I, I got to see it before that happens. Right. It's another reason why I'm kind of media blackout guy. So, Sometimes I'll talk about stuff, and you'll be like, Mitch, that's duh. Everyone knows that on Facebook. That's all whole, good. The whole Twitterverse knows this already, Mitch. You're behind. Because I just, I, I want to just experience things on my own or directly, more like yeah. this. Like, when you tell me about Alien Covenant mm-hmm. right here face-to-face, that is so much better for me <laughs> in a very selfish way, you know, than if right. I just read reviews online or if mm-hmm. I get impressions from the YouTubes or right. whatever. I'm an old man. Yeah, that's all good. That's all right. No, no. <laughs> no, I mean, I I think that's actually a better way to be because you you can completely spoil – nine times out of ten, given the media landscape now, you can completely spoil whatever experience you plan to have in advance. Yeah. I think that's why with a lot of TV stuff, that's still such a special experience for a lot of people because – you know, especially if it's something that's going to broadcast first, like it's going to hit HBO or whatever first, you want to see it before the riptide of public <laughs> opinion that'll yeah. come washing down through your social feed. Yeah. You know, well, that's what the with the new Twin Peaks. I'm, I I don't have a, a cable subscription, but Justin has his Showtime login, whatever it is. Right. And thank God, because then we, we gather on Sunday, we'll watch it. I'm, and I've never been a big uh like appointment television guy, mm-hmm. except for the things like that, that I really care about. Right. Because I'm so horrified. Like, what if someone spoiled something for me? Like mm-hmm. on that one, I'll be so heartbroken, but right. uh, maybe that's too big a word to use for something like television. Well, it's thankful though, because you are, you know, that show in particular, there seems to be much more of a, it seems to be much more of a mutually understood thing where it's like, this is a show. We're going to watch it when it comes out afterwards. Like some of us are going to go to this forum to talk about it. We're gonna talk the rest about of it? us, not so much. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But um, really just uh, for a uh, frame of reference too, because you've obviously been working in the industry for a while now. What is, you know, what's next on the agenda or tell me what was the, your favorite thing you ever worked on? I mean, you, you've worked, uh, on the East Coast, you worked at West Coast. Now, like right. up in, up in uh, Colorado, with these different film fests and marketing, mm-hmm. um, share with us a, a juicy story. Well, um, having just wrapped up the 60th San Francisco International Film Festival, um, 
we had a very big and aggressive slate of film and live music and film events, which I had never experienced anything like that prior. I mean, I had heard of primarily like silent films where they would show a silent film and then they would have a band like play a score with the film in tune. Like but, over the top of it, like yeah. live? Uh-huh. Oh, that's cool. So um, we had a bunch of those go down in San Francisco. In particular, my favorites, um, there was a screening of George Lucas's THX 1138 with a live score by Asian Dub Foundation, oh, wow. which is really aggressive um, drum and bass electronic band. And so yeah. that really, like... <sighs> that's certainly not a film that coasts on its dialogue. <laughs> it's really yeah. a film that's about the visuals. And I actually don't think I could ever watch that film again because I think I saw it in the absolute best possible way with, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of that kind of music to begin with, but there was something about the relevancy of that film. Like, to me, I, I still think you'll never find a greater chasm between two filmmaker between a filmmaker's two works than THX 1138 and Star Wars. Like they're among them. Like those two films <laughs> are so completely different and occupy such different worldviews. Um, and a lot of the weirder and creepier stuff in THX 1138 has actually come to pass. How many years between that and Star Wars? Like how much between the, like because the creator changed. I want to say like six years. Yeah, that's enough. I for think THX a... came out in seventy one. Okay. Yeah, but um, no, that was just an absolutely ferocious live experience with that musical backing, and then for the first time I saw Ziga Vertov's nineteen twenty nine Man with a Movie Camera, which, you know, the Soviets were obviously very huge on technique of montage and that film just does like they're just dizzying dizzying levels of MTV like (laughs) rapid cutting that Uh I can only imagine what it was like for somebody like that literally cutting it on like a moviola in that age or whatever the machine was (laughs) prior to that (laughs) you know with a razor blade and tape yeah um (laughs) So they that, were cutting it on my uh, um, movie on their iPad, <laughs> or whatever it is. No, I mean yeah. it, it. Just like it's it's re- it's a really astounding and ahead of its time piece of work. So that accompanied with a live score from Dvachka uh-huh. was pretty awesome. So those were two things I'm that I'm really got. jealous right now. <laughs> really, I think that's one of the reasons why I. I I mean, not, I'm, and I could be completely wrong. Who knows? But I mean, one of the reasons why I, I like your company and, and we've gotten along with you for so many years is you can appreciate art like I like. I want people to appreciate art. Yeah, I love to talk to you about those things because I can see that same thing, like the way it gets on your face when you start mm-hmm. talking about those things. Like that's for me. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to to wander around and eat our food and wake up and go to bed and do. Mm-hmm. But I I love the appreciation yeah. of of the arts. Our art's a really good reason to get out of bed. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, So those two things were really cool. The craziest working experience I had as a publicist up there, um, we 
hosted a gentleman. We did it. We did a number of tributes. Um, we did a tribute to John Ridley. We did a tribute to James Ivory. We did a tribute to Ethan Hawke. We did a tribute to a bunch of people. We hosted. Most Americans don't know his name, but we hosted the biggest Bollywood star in the world, a man by the name of Shah Rukh Khan. He has 24 million followers on Twitter. And he's right? basically <laughs> he has basically been a deity in Bollywood cinema for decades. Uh-huh. And so this was a little bit prior to our entire program going public about three weeks before the festival actually began in earnest. And I heard the name first and it it didn't really occur to me because I wasn't writing the press release for that one. Um, but then I was curious about it. I was like, huh, I want to know more about this guy. Cause like, that's a, that's a really interesting thing that he's like the biggest movie star to over a billion people in another place, yeah. but I don't know his name. You know, that's really, really, that's that really, mind blowing. that's yeah. really got to tweak your head a little right. bit. Like, that really aroused my curiosity. Yeah. So I looked him up and then there were a bunch of clips and then, um, my best friend in the world happens to be from Pakistan. I was like, I mentioned this guy to him. I wonder if he knows who he is. And he freaked out. He's like, oh, my God, you guys are having that guy. Oh, oh my God. Like, me and my wife, we might come out. You know, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, wow, okay. Um, I used to and bump it, into that guy at Starbucks every now and again when I was up at the Foothills Mall. Yeah, yeah. that guy. <laughs> but, um, so, yeah, um, we began to put in some work on behalf of that um talking to there's a very large south asian community in the bay area and uh the word just began to spread like wildfire it wasn't long before those tickets had sold out um and then the day of it had been this uphill fight for days going into it because we had we were just inundated with all of these media requests from South Asian media outlets, radio stations, blogs, you name it, in the area that all wanted to get a piece of this event because it was a tribute where he was going to speak and they were going to show a film of his. And for a long time, we weren't sure exactly what form it was going to take. We ended up having to narrow it down to a very specific list because anybody that was going to be up there with him when he did his little junket had to be approved in advance by his people, all this stuff. And when I actually got to the venue about two hours before, there was this long line of people that were just hoping to get a rush line ticket. Yeah. Um, And there was just this weird, like feverish, energy like people were just like people were into it you know and it was a it was a little bit crazy because i had to i had to fish journalists out of this crowd and like run them (laughs) upstairs you know and only certain ones and we had all these other journalists that were still just hoping to get in i was like you're not on the list you're not going up there you know um did anyone try to bribe you anyone like you know no not 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 that <laughs> far fun like that Nothing i doubt it's like, i doubt it's even i doubt it's like even that. that i doubt it's even that profitable for them but they were just really hoping yeah. to to squeeze this for something um and we got them up there and they were they were they were they were a little bit crazy up there they were a little bit 
not totally behaved with things. Like fanstruck, like what when you say well, like well, like some of them were supposed like credible journalists, but like they were taking selfies at the at the at the carpet. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, that opens up a whole new can of worms. Yeah, we're talking about like the selfies, uh-huh. the selfie generation. So oh. our bit ended. He goes into the main hall. It was just pandemonium in there. Like, it was, like, full-on, like, like Beatlemania level, like, screaming and crying among grown adults. What's the analog for, like, a U.S. star that we, like, you know... Like I don't think there is one, frankly. I That's mean, awesome. I mean, That's the thing is... That's well, here's the thing. Like, I, I, asked, I asked some other people on the staff that same question. I was like, is there anybody on this side of the pond that engenders that kind of response. And like, you know, they had a big deal with a fall event last year when they had, um, Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone show up for a yeah. screening of La La Land, but still nothing like that. And there, you know, there were some, you know, ladies trying to scheme and, you know, get a selfie with Ryan sure. Gosling or hug him or whatever, but not that kind of mass, like panic, you know what I mean? Um, and it was like they were all screaming, and it was just like barely audible in there. And then he goes, and they all went completely quiet. And we're just like, "Oh shit, <laughs> this this person, wow, is fully in control, wielding of his of his tribe here. Like wow. they're just they're plugged in, man. So, you know, the event went off okay." And then, of course, you know, there was a bit of a scrum to get him out. Yeah. You know, we had to form a little perimeter and get him into the limo. Step by step. Get him and then uh, the hilarious thing. So we like, get him in the limo. We're like, great. He's off. It was a red light, like <laughs> a quarter of a block down the street. And so they all just poured out oh, off yeah. the sidewalk and into the street. And uh, security folks are just like... Get away from the limo. So, yeah, that was, you know, uh, I did a bunch of production work for Conan, this, that, and the other in New York City and Chicago. And, you know, when you have, you know, big people that are guests or whatever, like there's always somebody hanging out trying to get an autograph or whatever. Yeah. But that was the only time that I really experienced, like, or you have a collective fan furor. <laughs> like, this is bigger than me, and all I can try and do is surf it, you know? So, that's awesome. That's an odd thing. Yeah. Yeah. What, maybe not even like RDJ in like America? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't feel I think, there is anyone. I think like it's that. a weird thing because, like, we're so. It's almost because we're like celebrity culture so thoroughly permeates everything here uh-huh. that because it's everywhere, it's also just not that friggin' special, you know? Sure. I don't know. I mean, I think certain sure. sports stars could still probably engender that as well. I have a complete disconnect with that. Yeah. Because I, but like sports. when when I was when I was living and working up in Aspen, there was a day where uh, LeBron James showed up in the middle of winter. Yeah. And there was like some people who just like, ooh, you know what I mean? But yeah. still not. He's an athlete, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> he plays basketball. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, he wears shorts or something. Yes. Right? He yes. He's shorts and a headband. <laughs> okay. Cool. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, nothing to that sort of. That's exciting. There are a lot of people that are really into this person. Huh. I like the the connection you draw between it becoming so commonplace here, Mm -hmm. and maybe this world we live in where everyone has a voice and everyone tweets and everyone. I mean, but you said he has twenty four million. Twitter followers. 24 million like, followers so, on Twitter. Like, uh, so in our culture, is it just, is it because of things like uh, reality TV and all the, these things that make kind of stardom? Is is Andy Warhol correct? Was was Warhol correct? The 15 minutes of fame, and that that's kind of made our stars less bright. Do they shine less now because it's it's too much flash in the pan? I think so. I think it's also a function of that machine has such a voracious appetite that people just get devoured by that continually yeah like you're a new thing and then you need another new thing you know yeah i don't know that's a that's a really strange facet to it and i mean thankfully i'm really not i'm really like there are very few people that i think if I got to meet them, I would just be like, oh, my God. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know. Who who closest would you maybe? Um, I certainly think meeting George Lucas would probably freak me out a little bit. Yeah. You know? Meeting him or Spielberg. I can get behind that. That would be I, a big I, I deal. Yeah. You know? I, I never really thought about it that way because most of, most of my uh, – what's the word? I'm looking for. <laughs> Most of your idols, yeah. Well, the, my are idols rock are like centric. I, they're rock centric, so right. I, didn't, I didn't think about it. But considering my Star Wars fandom, yeah, I think if I actually met Lucas in person, I mean, after I asked for my refund, <laughs> I, I, would, I would then be then be starstruck. But yeah, I have an itemized statement from between 1999 <laughs> and 2005. <laughs> uh, could you please validate this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it, yeah. That's that's. It's an interesting thing to think about. Like who who would who would have you flummoxed? Because I, you know, they say don't meet your idols, and I've I've met a few of them. Yeah, and I I wasn't even, and you know how much I love Black Label, mm-hmm. how much I love Zach. Uh, I wasn't flummoxed, and I've uh, had the That's opportunity good. to meet him a couple times now. I think there's also a difference though, because you are somebody like you're really into the art itself. Like you're not so much, you you don't strike me as somebody that buys so much into the image of a given artist as more. I have the, a black label like seat cushion, right? Like, okay, I mean, I, <laughs> but I'm <laughs> just saying though, like you you kidding. you you do have a genuine interest in the art itself, and more more so you have also you've also spent time learning those arts yourself and i think that's a little bit of a different animal Hmm. you know when you have also been like so i know what that's like and i know it's like to have blisters on your fingers after you know trying to play a certain thing and you know so there's a little more of a rather than just adulation it's it's like a respect more right it's not just out and out fandom okay you know whereas with lucas for me it would be because i've never endeavored anything in that that realm yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. 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 You know who you should talk to? Who? You should uh, talk to uh, to Mike. Yeah. 
I would love you I both. Will. I would like you both right here. <laughs> you, you know that conversation. You want hilarious. your full-on Statler and Waldorf oh, action here, so don't you? Oh, it would be so good. It would be so good. It would be tasty. So next time you're in town for like any length of time, yeah, we should see if we could put that together. Would you oh, be yeah. interested in doing that? Oh, yeah. That would be a lot of fun, yeah. sir. Thank you very much. For sure. Uh, well, so we're wrapping it up. Uh, thank you very much, James, for sitting down with me this fine afternoon. First recording in the afternoon in the Red Room. Uh, yeah, All y'all out there. Red Room, Red Room. <laughs> <laughs> uh, resume your whittling, and we'll talk to you next time from the Red Room. Thanks a lot.